0: Hello, I'm Chris Sutton, and welcome to FIS's Freight and Quantity Podcast on Wednesday the 11th of May. Well, this week we have fertilisers back on the podcast schedule with a look at green ammonia as an environmental alternative fuel, as well as dry freight, carbon emissions and iron ore. Well, what about the news? Well, the EU has shelved its plan to ban European shipping uh, from carrying Russian crude as it struggles to push through its latest sanctions package because of anxiety among some member states about the economic impact of such a move. If you dig a little deeper into this, we have Tom Krebs, a economic professor at the University of Mannheim, has suggested that the cost of Germany, uh, if it cut off immediate supply of natural gas from Russia, would be around about 12% of its annual output, or some 429 billion euros. The US Fed Reserve uh, warned that a sharp rise in interest rates posed a risk to the UK economy with a negative feedback loop if market liquidity deteriorates. So it's something to watch in terms of what actually happens for the rest of this year after somewhat of a more hawkish start to 2022 than previous. And a little bit offside news, but still an impact on commodity markets. Elon Musk has said that he would reverse ex-US President Trump's ban on Twitter if he finalises his purchase of the social media platform shares. And those of you who remember Mr Trump's impact on oil markets with tweets might soon have to revisit those coping mechanisms. And who knows what market or related industry might come under his fire next if he is restated to the platform. But what about indexes week on week? Well, Cape Sizes, they have led the pack for dry FFAs, moving up significantly over the week on week, uh, ending 28704 yesterday, having been 17804 a week ago. Tuesday the 3rd of May, obviously, versus Tuesday the 11th of May yesterday. Uh, Panamax is uh, less of a move up, but still significantly there, around just around about $3,000 per day. And on the supermax is uh, hardly moving, but still up in the right direction, moving slightly up. And the iron ore we have had after the long holiday uh, moved down uh, was on the Friday before the holiday, before the Tuesday, one forty two thirty five, and now to one twenty eight ten. And the Brent crude that has also come off. Uh, despite all the fears of these ban, that's probably related to the fact that actually we're not going to see an immediate EU-wide ban on our oil products from Russia. Uh, so we have moved down to the 103.85. Uh, on the related fuels, fuel oil, uh, it's no surprise there that that has come off as well with that move down in crude ending 7.11.05, having been 7.75.85 the week before. On the tankers, uh, slight move down on the crude VLCCs. Uh, crew carriers. Uh, It was 45.70, now 41.64. But big movements on those uh, product sides. The TC2 transatlantic route was 3.14.72, now 3.35.56. And TC5 going all the way to Japan from the Arab Gulf, 2.97.50 it was, now 320 on that route. Steel has slightly declined as well, just holding above that thousand mark still. Uh 1149 closing yesterday, having been 1245 on European steel. Uh, under the EUA market, that's the compulsory carbon market. Uh, week on week we may have seen a slight fall if you're looking at the index 8819 Euros. It was 8774 closing last night. But we seem to be back on the right path of an onward trajectory if you look slightly into actually into the week of what was happening. Now let's jump into some more market specific stuff. First, there are new contracts being launched in the carbon emissions market, but this is a fast-moving market, so there's no surprise there. And it seems that the resumption of carbon's unending march towards higher prices has now resumed after a brief hiatus. So let's take a closer look at this market with Kieran Batterby, our carbon
1: emissions broker here at FAS. Uh, Kieran, what have we been seeing lately? Yeah, thanks, Chris. It's certainly been another interesting week for the carbon market, both in compliance and voluntary. So in the compliance market, most noteworthy has probably been those massive price increases that we've been seeing again in EUAs. Um, The DEC22 futures contracts are the most liquid Posted an impressive 10% gain last week, um, even after the shorter trading week due to a public holiday across uh, most of Europe. So prices were pretty stagnant Tuesday, Wednesday, and then a strong auction on the Thursday and a, a key technical threshold being breached uh, for any technical analysis out there. Um, a key threshold was breached and then new upside targets were realized um, and even touched a 10-week high of ninety-one spot 91.99. So very close again to... Uh, triple figures, and it's it's that threshold that's been touted around for, for quite some time now. Um, so yeah, it's just it's, it's just interesting to be seeing the prices jumping up that high. Um, and remember as well, it was only sort of two months ago when the contract was trading around 50, 60 euros following the outbreak of, of, of the war in Ukraine. Um, And, you know, it's that massive price increase that segues quite nicely into the more fundamental factors influencing the market at the moment. Um, So EU MEPs are heading into a key vote this week on reforms for the EU Emissions Trading Scheme, Um, one of them being the involvement of speculators due to their influence on prices. So some participants... Uh, want to curb their involvement, and want to restrict trading in the ETS, so the emission trading scheme, only to those who need it, so the compliance entities, or the individuals buying on behalf of these compliance entities. Um, and this isn't a new issue or anything. You know, it has been raised multiple times before, and most recently it was even addressed by ESMA, um, who carried out this extensive review on the market and dismissed any claims of excessive speculation. So it's being raised again, um, you know, for whatever reason and um we'll see we'll see how things play out but even these large uh, trading associations so the main one being the international emissions trading association um, have signed letters to express their concerns over any of these restrictions for speculators involvement in the ets um it's pretty obvious to see that the entire validity um of the market sort of needs this higher price to make the cost of pollution too great for companies um and actually force them to internally innovate and reduce their emissions rather than just paying for the luxury and buying these euas these allowances to allow them to pollute that one thousand that one ton of um one thousand tons sorry of um of emissions um so yeah preventing any speculator involved would therefore, you know, drastically decrease liquidity and prices in tandem, and make it significantly harder for the EU to achieve its um, fit for fifty-five climate goals. Um, Some other reforms being debated at the moment include increasing the linear reduction factor, which is the amount of emissions, um, the amount that the emissions cap decreases every year. So that would be increasing from 4.2% and 107 million tonnes to 205 million tonnes and a 4.3% reduction per year. So um, that should help speed up one, um, that 55 climate goals and achieving net zero ambitions and so on. Um, and increasing the scope of just the amount of emissions being cut per year, which is, which is great to see if it, if it does come into play. Um, and yeah, just a move such as this would actually see 67% of emission reductions below 2005 levels. So that's quite um, a drastic increase. Um, and finally, they are looking into strengthening the price control mechanism um, where the EU can actually take action if for six months or more um, prices were more than two times the average of the preceding two years, Um, So, yeah, again, there is that policy and that regulator involvement in the market, but all of these factors we've discussed here should hopefully implement and um, drive high prices and, and see the cost of pollution increasing to such a drastic level that, you know, companies do still need to be taking note of the market. Um, and now, just quickly on the voluntary side of things, um, ICE have actually launched a new futures-based contract. I think you just spoke about it briefly there, as the introduction was rolling in. Um, so this is very similar to the CME um, nature-based contract as well. There, there's only one really slight difference, um, and that is the the vintage structure. So the vintage being that the years that the offset emissions were created. Um, CME NGO contracts have a um, a rolling vintage and uh, changing every every year to include a newer year and and losing the the older one Um at the moment is static. So it's just including 2016 to 2020 um, Which is very interesting because then the projects that we are seeing for clients who might be trying to source a very specific thing are, You know we're now tr- starting to see these older vintages coming back into play whereas before um, you know Anything pre-2017 might have not been on some people's radars because they were worried about um, the vintage structure for the CME geo correlating into um, negative prices for those types of projects. But yeah, it's great to see ICE, one of the largest exchanges in the world now, jumping onto um, the carbon voluntary market. The Capes lead the pack
0: again this week on week in the dry freight indexes, and along with that, there's a general lift in sentiment, especially in the days after the return from the holiday. Uh, Let's hear from podcast stalwart Kerry Deal on a bit more behind these numbers. Kerry, tell us the lowdown. What are we seeing?
2: Well, we're seeing a 62% increase nearly uh, week on week on the Capes, Uh, $10,899 gain on the Cape 5TC index. Um, Really just a bullish week to follow the Chinese holidays. Gains were seen in both basins, and the hope that Brazil would become finally a little more active seemed to be delivering. The C3-Tuberao-Qingdao iron ore route was heard fixed at $29.90 last Thursday. That was China's first day back, and quickly climbing above 32 dollars even hitting, uh, that was, by the way, $32 for mid to late June loading dates, I should say, with rumors of $35 done yesterday uh, for end June loading dates. So that's really, really, really punchy out of Brazil. Good to finally be seeing some activity out of there. In Asia, activities were expected to be thin in the early part of the week, and they were. However, the C5 iron ore route, that's West Australia to China, was fixed around $12 just after the holidays before things moved quickly up as owners took control. More fixtures surfacing with rates between $12.85 to $13 before the weekend, and again, moving up to $14 yesterday. A lot of this gain seems to be driven by excess tonnage in the east being soaked up, that is, carrying Indonesia to India coal stems. It's worth noting that 56% of those Indo-India coal stems were shipped on capes last week. That's a very unusual situation. It's normally mainly a Panamax route. Some Aussie Europe coal stems were also heard, and I think we should pay attention to this. If we see more of these very long backhauls becoming the norm, then it should help support the rate. Paper was bullish late last week and Monday, although largely the physical market was catching up to the very large premium already priced in on the paper. Monday saw more bullish tone with June, July, and Q3 paper contracts that are above $38,000 a day, Yesterday, we saw a brief sell-off as some people began to question the very large premiums to the spot market. But today, we do see support again with June trading uh, 38.625 this morning. Value on FIS Live, Q4 valued at 32.825. I think the question moving forward remains, Number one, the impact of lockdowns in China, with clear slowdowns being seen in domestic consumption in China now and rumors that Shanghai is actually tightening restrictions even more in an attempt to finally eradicate the Omicron virus. Uh, However, I also think we need to pay attention, as I mentioned, to those very long uh, Aussie to Europe coal backholes. So if we see more of those, then that could really help support rates. Panamax is not quite as busy as the Capes and not as dramatic on physical, but an uptick in activity for the Atlantic saw front-haul trips, including US Gulf Redelivery Far East, fixing between 37,250 to 38,500. That's for mid-May loading dates. East Coast, South America Redelivery Singapore, Japan was fixing around 33,000 and 33 and a half. While transatlantic trips, re-delivery SCA Jib were also fixing towards the 30,000 mark for the minerals and the grains. With more vessels willing to stay in the Atlantic, that eased some of the pressure on the Asian market as well, and Pacific round trips were fixing around 2,000 higher by late last week at 24 and a half for early May dates. The most exciting thing happening on the paper market in Panamax was the P-6 route being introduced. That's delivery Far East for a very long round voyage via East Coast South America, re-delivery Far East. And the first two trades were done here at FIS, with May P-6 printing at 31 and a half and June P-6 at 32 and a half. Overall, the 4TC paper failed to hold gains this week. We're declining on Monday a little bit. Uh, and today, the June 4TC paper valued at 28,800 on FIS Live, while Q4 is sitting at 24,700.
0: After record prices and volatility, fertilizers are back on the podcast. And this week, we have our Kansas-based broker, Taylor Eastman, here to answer questions on what's been going on in this key market and what the future holds. So, Taylor, uh, prices have come off highs of the year, but they are still at high levels. Do you think that this is a situation we are going to be in for the long run, or is this more of a short-term thing?
3: Yeah, I think it's a function of both energy prices and grain prices. If we're going to continue to see the underlying energy markets, like the gas market in Europe, stay volatile um, over the next few years, I believe we're going to see fertilizer prices kind of stay in a volatile environment um, as production in Europe shuts off and comes back online and shuts off. So I think uh, it depends a little bit on um, the underlying energy markets, but it also depends on um, what what grains end up doing as well. I mean, over the past 18 months, we've seen grains have a tremendous rally, um, such as corn and and wheat. Uh, I think if those grain prices stay elevated, it's going to give fertilizer more of a support level, um, where fertilizer prices could maybe stay at at, at levels that are higher than the ten-year averages, even the even the five-year averages. So it's really about that those that input market, um, the energy markets staying volatile, as well as um, the the uh, the grain market, which is which is obviously the demand source of fertilizers.
0: And then in terms of those inputs and prices it's something which has impacted so many commodities the the war in Ukraine Russia's invasion there and subsequent sanctions by other countries on Russia having a big impact because oil prices or Russia's a big oil uh, producer and then a knock-on effect for gas prices and the production of fertilizers uh, and all the other elements which are driving rising prices and inflation um what kind of impact have we seen specifically in the, the FERTS market off those actions?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the trade has had a really, really hard time pricing in uh, the the invasion of Ukraine into the fertilizer market. Uh, at the beginning of the invasion, we saw prices of fertilizer, all fertilizers initially jump um, on the concern that Russian product wanted, would be stuck in Russia and wouldn't be allowed to be exported. Uh, but as time has gone on, we've now seen more outlets pop up where that product can get placed, such as Brazil um, and likely India. Uh, we'll know more about India this week as the Indian tender gets um, prices get announced tomorrow. So I think what likely happens is just trade flows change. Uh, for, for example, you saw over a million tons of urea come to the U.S. from Russia in 2021. I, I don't think that we'll see those same type of volumes get shipped from Russia into the US uh, as long as um, there isn't a regime change in Russia. So really, we'll just kind of see a shift in trade flows. Uh, Russia uh, has um, obviously produces 20% of the entire fertilizer market. Uh, You'll see more more places um, uh, probably take Russian tons probably at a discount. but it, it's, it's not really, it's, it affected us at first in the fertilizer market. Those trade flows have gotten resolved and prices have subsequently come back down, you know, in, in NOLA 30%. So initial jump, but as the trade realized that that product can still get out of Russia, we, we've seen prices come back the other way. So in effect,
0: the political situation and, and trade will flow more along political lines than necessarily economic ones and where it's needed most so you might have strange things happening rather than necessarily the usual supply and demand problems
3: yeah that's exactly right i mean just like we're seeing in other uh, commodity markets as well the west is becoming more um uh there's more unity in the west you'll, you'll see uh certain countries just probably not deal in russian product and then and then some countries maybe some of these emerging type markets are probably still willing to take um uh, probably going to be less political.
0: And then moving on to another topic, looking far into the future about net zero and removing emissions from supply chains. And one of those proposed ways is to use green ammonia, environmentally produced ammonia. And I guess the question to you, Taylor, is that is this the boom time for Fertz coming along? Or is actually this going to be a big headache for how the industry does this and produces this kind of silver bullet for all of our problems?
3: Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, the potential for ammonia and subsequently green and blue ammonia have have substantial upside. As the world moves towards having less of a carbon footprint, uh, there's obviously going to be more demand. There's going to be just more of a, a need for energy sources that have less emissions. And there's a lot of discussion around ammonia being one of those energy sources. However, it's... Still, we're still in the beginning stages here of figuring out how money, ammonia will play a role in the future of a greener world. Uh, close to over, or close to 50 projects on green ammonia have been announced to date. With only really four in development, I believe we're still quite away, a, a maybe you know, three, four years away from seeing green ammonia being used in a commercial capacity uh, for things such as such as engine for, engines for ships. Or you know, uh, power plants running off of ammonia. Um, those technologies are still being developed, so it's really we're we're, we're I, I do believe that we're going to see a boon time in ammonia, uh, but it's a little bit of a cart before the horse type scenario right now. I mean, those things I think will happen, but it, it's that's that's you know in the next three to four years. And in regards to fertilizer, right? So fertilizer is, um, that's only one of the uses for ammonia. As you start to see a, a secondary use for ammonia as an energy source, then I think the fertilizer markets are going to have to compete for that ammonia, that supply. And you could see the fertilizer markets become even more volatile, uh, as if, if we do see, demand for ammonia really increase and and really change. Um, But again, that's, you know, three to to, to four years away, I think.
0: The long holiday and continuing worry about lockdowns in China has left the iron ore market cold, reflected in a decline of prices week on week. As such a key importer of iron ore, what happens in China going forward will be key for what happens in this product, as well as all the others in the steelmaking complex. Let's hear from Halpei, our analyst in our Shanghai office, on some of the data and news behind the scenes.
4: The global ferrous market in general suffered a correction over the previous week and early this week. It's very similar to things happening in the equity market as concerning and uncontrollable inflation risk. The Fed watch indicated June interest rate increased by 75 basis points. Probability reached 83 to 85% area last Thursday. Ironically, Powell just said it won't happen a day before. Major central banks including UK, Brazil, Canada, Chile, and Australia started a new round of interest increase. Liquidity tension hit the whole world investment market. Iron ore prices fell 8 percent, which is also expected from our previous report. The downstream market recovery in China became much slower than expected. Tight steel margins and low efficient transportation restricted the stock demand from mills as well as dot interest from physical traders. Chinese yuan depreciated over 6 percent during the last Three weeks, which meant the dollar price to seaborne iron ore becomes 6.5 to 7 percent higher for the importers, with other variables unchanged. During such circumstances, mills are becoming more interested to look for domestic iron ores or port Chinese Yuan based cargoes. The prime products in iron ore class PBF started to offer a discount in mid April which was first seen from late 2017. The discount indicated Real Tinto's awareness of competition from low-grade iron ores as well as the fast increasing trades on Chinese portside cargos. The discounted PBF fast attracted buyers' attention for several times over the past four weeks, with whole les traded once offers was shown out on the market. However, when the full price returned to a moderate premium, bits on the market suddenly vanished. The current market was sensitive to the premium discount instead of the, the absolute value of fixed price cargos. SP10, MACF, GMBF are become uh, favorable choices for physical traders over the past three months because of improving sintering property as well as better cost. In general, the diversification of iron ore types had created a more competitive environment and enhancing price transparency and fairness of the trade market. Looking forward, iron ore annual price range in 2022 expected to be smaller compared with 2020 and 2021. Chinese meals and Japanese meals started to adapt cost-saving strategy since March because of the thin steel margin. China northern mill steel margin has struggled in 0 to 31 for the last two months. However, the leading indicator virtual steel margin recovered significantly from 500 yuan per ton to near 700 yuan per ton over the week, which potentially indicate the physical steel margin would see a healthy rebound during the next few weeks in longer periods higher iron ore coking coal and scrub price still eroded more than 95% profits for mills as turning point shanghai experienced a significant drop on daily infections in early may a white list of more than 2000 enterprises resumed work including manufacturing and food companies. However, the closed cycle management slowed down the investment movement and operation efficiency in many cities. The SGX and versus DCE difference maintained around $19 to $20 during most of the times last week. The market potentially start stabilized within 20 to 25 area as the recovery of import loss in PBF and the increasing steel margin. Would become new support for the spread.
0: That's it for this week. If you want to stay up to date with everything that is happening in the freight and commodity space, then sign up to our app, FIS Live, or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn, and have a great end to your week.